Inside a large and apparently deserted barn on Overland Avenue, just outside the city proper, the figure of a man can be seen moving about in the dim light passed from one green-shaded electric light bulb. All about him, huge tanks, half eerie shadows, give forth a strange odor. Pausing for an instant before one of these, the man reaches into his pocket, extracts the cigarette, reaches again, returns with a match. For a moment, he stands looking about. Then with a thick gesture, strikes the match on the nearby tank. His cigarette lifts. Another quick gesture sends the smoldering match sailing across the room to land in a maze of winding copper pipes where it lies sputtering feebly, slowly dying out. Then suddenly it comes to life again with renewed vigor. Seems to gain strength. It ignites a thin trickle of liquid that runs from a leaf and one of the grotesque-looking tanks. Deliberately, a thin trail of flame licks a path across the floor, greedily devours the fuel before it, heads directly for the base of the tank. And as it reaches the doping scene with a flame up to the source of its food, the man turns, sees it, makes one desperate lunge, bare hands outstretched as though to smother it. But as his fierce, crazed eyes watch, the flame reaches its destination. Rings as a brief split second. Then. For miles around, hearing the ground city explosion rush from their homes, find the sky tinged with red as huge flames shoot hundreds of feet into the air above all the remains of the old barn. And in the fire station, an alarm bell informs fire chief Frank Wilson of the explosion. Galvanizes a sudden action every available piece of fire equipment. Oh, 
buzzing under the weight of the burned man, Lynch and his companion managed to reach the open air as the entire section of barn they were decked in collapses into a shambles of burning wood. And once there, a flashlight reveals the body to be so badly burned that there is apparently no single clue as to its identity. I told you we were wasting our time in that. How are you going to find out who this fellow was when there's nothing left of him? Well, frankly, I don't know. Hold that flash here while I look him over. Okay. Yeah. No chance of anybody recognizing by his face, that's certain. No clothing left. Hey, bring that flash down here a little closer, will you? Yeah, that's got it. What's up? Huh. Looks like a tattoo mark here on the back of his arm. You see here where it isn't burnt? Sure. Okay. Manila. E I Yeah, that old iron bed there. 
Probably a sort of general hangout living quarters for that poor fellow that got burned and rested again. What's all this junk over here? I don't know. Looks like what is left. It's just a floor or something. Well, the only thing that didn't burn. Yeah. Uh, you think you'll get anywhere with that fingerprint idea, people? Oh, I don't know, Judge. A chance. Mitchell's pretty enthusiastic over it. More power to Without the slimmest lead, I've ever heard of. Yeah. Hello. What's this? Find something? I don't know. Looks like an old watch. Yeah. Here it is. Hmm. Anything else? Hmm. Oh, some papers. Let me see. There's an old speed ticket. Only wait a minute. It's not so old. Made out on December 8th. Hey. That's the day before yesterday. Yeah. Let's see if I can make out the name on it. Harry A. H. O. Howard. Harry A. Howard. Well, you remember that name, don't you, Judge? Yeah. Hey, wasn't he the fellow who had up a bootlegging a couple of times? Right. Lynch and I have been trying to connect him with some big time skill for a long time. And it looks like you were right. Hmm, let's see what you got here. Hereby ordered to appear in Yeah, and here's the officer's name of David. Say, I've got an idea that this little ticket is going to make a lot of difference in this case, Judge. <laughs> Angeles traffic officer proves conclusively that the Howard on the traffic ticket and the Howard to tell knows are one and the same man. With this knowledge, to tell hurries back to Culver City and forms Lynch his discovery. Then the two officers settle down to await the arrival of Nuremberg and the start of their identification experiment. And at 10 the next morning, after a sleepless night, they greet the fingerprint expert and hurry to the morgue. How are you going about this thing, Nuremberg? Well, the first thing we've got to do is strip the skin from the fingertips. And we've got to be careful doing it, too. That's the first place we can go wrong. What do we do with it when we get it? Soak it in alcohol for three days. That should restore it to a fair degree of normality, at least enough to party. Then, if everything goes well, we photograph the results and get a set of fingerprints. Of course, the odds are that we won't get anything, but there's that one chance. I've got a hunch it'll work, Nuremberg. A strong hunch. And so far, the hunters have been 100% right. Come on, let's get started. So, throughout the morning, Nuremberg works like some skilled surgeon, carefully removing the tarred skin from the two's fingertips, delicately placing them in a container of alcohol to soak. It is a nerve-stretching task, and when, toward the afternoon, Hesford straightens up from his work, pronounces the first step of the experiment finished, both to Shell and Lynch, with a long, suppressed sigh of relief. So far, so good. And now, with three long days to wait, Lynch and Shell pick up the former thread of evidence. Start a man hunt for the man behind the still, Harry A. Howard. At first, they make another search of the burned still. Discover the metal waste paper container buried under a pile of hard embers. In it, they find several scraps of born paper. Yeah, only these scraps aren't left. Look more like the teeth. 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 We're on the right track. Now all we've got to do is to find Howard and pin it on. He won't have a leg to stand. Ex-bootlegger Harry Howard isn't as easy as it seems. For two days, the men track down all his known haunts and find the same answer. Howard has not been seen for some time. Several friends have been brought in questions, but each one denies any knowledge of Howard's whereabouts. 
And by the morning of the third day, Lynch and Tuchel begin to realize that things are not just what they might be. And now the search for Howard is put aside for the continuation of Durenberg's experiment. In his laboratory in Los Angeles, Lynch and Tuchel watch anxiously as the scientist begins the second step, that of powdering the now fairly soaked fingertips. You see here how the skin is turned white, resumed its appearance of human skin rather than softness. Oh, I can tell what it is, all right. Now, the next thing is to make the tiny indentations or lines stand out. You see, unlike the usual method of fingerprinting, that is, rolling the fingers in ink and then getting an impression from pressure on a pad, we've got to photograph these tiny pieces. Naturally, the way they are, there's no contrast. Everything looks white. So we... Take this soft part of preparation, so, and dust it into the crevices. Then we blow off the exert, and there you see a perfect fingertip. I'm George Nuremberg. You've got something. Well, I hope so. Well, what now? What about that? That's right. This lens is specially constructed to take soft close-up pictures of small objects. Now, I'm going to set this glove-like fingertip on the end of this pencil. So, set it up here with this light on it. Like this. You mean you're going to have to set each one up like that and take a picture? That's right. Slow, but if it works, sure. Francisco, 
April 16, 1919, discharged May 1920 for dance conduct. Home address given as 3420 San Jose Avenue, Alameda, California. Respectfully, George A. Holmes, commander in charge of Naval Personnel, Washington, D.C. In response to a telegram, Duane, alias Curtis's father, makes the trip down from Alameda, identifies his son's remains, and puts an end once and for all to all speculations as to his identity. And Lynch and Trousseau begin a minute search for the missing Howard. But this time as before, their efforts are blocked at every turn. No one knows where Howard is. No one knows anything about his connection with the burned still. No one apparently knows anything, and at last, after two months of constant speaking, the officers conclude that their man has left town for good. Relapsed in their presence. Then one day, Lynch receives a call from a constable he knows, a call asking his assistant and stating out a house in the West Adams district in order to catch a man wanted on a theft charge. Accordingly, Lynch drives over and meets the constable. Casually, he looks over the arrest warrant. Then suddenly stiffens to attention. Hey, is this the fellow you're going after? Yeah, why? Harry Albert. Harry Howard's brother-in-law. Yeah, who's Harry Howard? A gent who's selling I've been looking for for months. He's allowed to have one of the biggest steel outfits in town. I've got a warrant for some rest right in my pocket. Been carrying it there just in case I happen to run into him sometime. Hey, uh, what's this Albert got to do with him? He's mixed up with him and a couple of bootlegging rats we had hired on. Claims to be his brother-in-law. Nice family. Albert's at one floor of in Los Angeles. Uh, let's get back to this house. I'd like to give it to one fellow and see if I can get a lead as to where Howard is. That's one person I'm anxious to get my hands on. Uh, probably won't find anything. People like this don't have to leave their calling cards lying around. However, I still want Albert, so let's go. <laughs> Once at the house, Constable Jennings and Lynch, finding no one home, make a quick search. Find in a drawer in the bedroom something that pleases Lynch immensely. This is got it. Just the thing I've been looking for. Oh, what's that? This letter here from Harry Howard with a return address in Ontario, California. <laughs> and I thought he was smart. Come on, Jennings. We're going to take a fast tour to Ontario. What, now? The better life now. I'm not wasting any time. Two months I spent looking in every alley, hot stuff, pool hole, and bootlegging joint. And now it looks as though maybe I'll find him. Come on, next stop on Ontario. Not wanting to waste the time necessary to return to Culver City and locate Trussell, Lynch and his companion, Constable Jennings, start a mad drive to the foothill town of Ontario. Mile after mile, they drive at breakneck speed, and in sight of 30 minutes, they pull to a grinding stop in front of the Ontario police station. A brief stop there, long enough to enlist the aid of a local officer. And they resume the journey. This time, stopping down the street from a small white house, bearing the address found in the letter. Quietly, Lynch makes the plan. This is instruction. Now, there's no way of telling how many we're going to find in there. But the way I've got to figure, if we surprise them, we'll have a good chance of grabbing them before they know what's happening. It sounds logical, huh? Jennings, suppose you take the west side of the house. Right. Near the back door. I'll go in the front way. Right. You hear me inside? You come in through the back door fast. They start out first, nail them. Don't let anyone get away until we know who we have. Understand? Perfect. Okay, and be careful. I don't know much about this, Harry lad. I understand he carries a gun, and he isn't particular who he uses it on. Keep that in mind. Yeah, don't worry. I'm not anxious to get through with lead. Okay, then. Let's go. Slowly, quietly, the three men approach the little white house. 
wordlessly, Jennings takes his position at the side under the windows. The Ontario officer at the back door. Then, with all in readiness, Lynch eases up the front steps onto the porch. Quietly tries the door, finds it locked. A moment's hesitation. Then, his mind made up, Lieutenant Lynch goes into 215 pound action. Explosion and fire. The 
suspect is now in custody. That's all.